You know, this morning, just as we've been talking and singing and praying, um, just been really um, impacted, overwhelmed by just the, the love of God for you. Uh, you know, this is Valentine's season, and we think about love, and we think about human relationship, and the feeling that we have in those experiences. And, you know, you can take the greatest feeling that you've ever had, this, that greatest sense of energizing that you've had if you've, when you felt love in a human setting. And you can take that, and you can take that times, I don't know how many, um, to um, even come close to understanding the nature of God's love for you. Uh, regardless of what, whether you feel lovable or not, whether you can really wrap your arms around this idea that he loves us, um, because we know ourselves so well and we just don't feel so lovable oftentimes, sometimes I wonder, okay, he loves me, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, why do I deserve, th- deserve this? Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we don't, but he does. And so... Um, Whatever that means to you this morning, just just know it. Just just receive it, take it in, um, believe it, stretch yourself a little bit that direction in a greater way than you ever have, and um, know that His love is complete. It's He doesn't change. You know, in our human relationships, we're just we're just fickle. <laughs> you know, uh, we feel something one day and we it changes the next day, and and but He just doesn't ever change. Uh, it's something that He's given to us and. And so, uh, so when we talk about love, we've been um, taking some time in this series on the life of Jesus, and we've been looking at this unique wedding uh, metaphor, this language that is used of he is the bridegroom and we're the bride, and kind of the interchange between his love for the church and our response to that love uh, informs us about what human relationships um, have the potential to look like and some of the experiences that can be there. We've been looking at... Uh, Uh, Scriptures like Philippians 2, where it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. So we've been talking about the fact that we have uh, this natural draw to relationships. I, I believe that we're drawn to people because God's in people. They're made in his image and, and we're drawn really to him when we're drawn to each other. And, and there's something very powerful about relationships that, that we long for and look for and we find certain amounts of fulfillment in. And yet we've been looking at the idea that maybe relationships, maybe marriage, maybe friendships are really the main purpose or one of the most significant purposes that they were designed for is, is soul training in our life so that we can train our souls to become more like him, so that we can train our souls to become more outward focused instead of self-focused. Because I do think that we're, we struggle with this sense of feeling love that it turns us inward because we don't feel okay. We don't feel loved. We don't feel fulfilled. So we have a tendency to turn inward and just have to take care of ourselves and try to make ourselves feel loved. And yet these relationships turn us outward. They, they really challenge us to consider others first and care for others first and live a life um, for others. And so we've been looking at that as Pastor Ed said, this is all a mystery. We're never going to fully understand what all of this is about, but we try to 
kind of try to chip away at it every time we gather and look at the scriptures and reason together. And, and uh, so that's a little bit what we're looking at this morning. We also looked at the scripture last week in Ephesians 4, 2 through 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And we also talked about that there's not a marriage and family exception clause in these scriptures. Like be completely humble and gentle and giving to everyone except your spouse and your children and your siblings, and then you can just be mean as can be. You can be really, really wicked. Um, That's not in any of this. It means that we're supposed to be humble and gentle and patient, even with the people that we live with, even with the people that we're surrounded with. As Brent and I have been talking about the love of God, I couldn't help but think about our God is a romantic God. You know, as you read through scripture, there is some of the most poetic and beautiful language in scripture that you will find anywhere. When you look at the things that God created, think of the flowers, the variety of flowers. I'm a gardener. I love flowers. I have so many uh, different types of hydrangeas in my yard. I love flowers and the color and the fragrance. God created those, and that shows us that he is a God of beauty. Look at the fish in the sea, all of the different colors and different types that are there. It shows how creative and beautiful he is. I do have questions about the ostrich, but, you know, that's a... That's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> and if you ever question whether God is in the romance in our relationship, and even within sexuality, all you have to do is read the Song of Solomon and go, whoa, that sizzles. Um, God, God is proud of the gift of sexuality that he's given to his couples. He created marriage. It was his idea in the beginning. And so he sees that it's good. So today we want to talk about how is your romance? How is it going in your life? You may wonder what we've been talking about the last couple weeks of dying to self and putting the other one first and being patient has to do with romance. It's everything. Because we can't really have emotional and physical intimacy until we learn to put the other person first, until we learn how to give to one another, until we focus more on you and us instead of on me. Remember, we've talked before about the great I. I get in the way of everything. And we have to work on it being about us and building our relationship together. As marriage counselors for the last 30 years, we have been fascinated with courtship. Um, And uh, it's a unique phenomenon that happens in our culture where we experience this new life and this energy and where everything just is really pretty easy. And I think it can instruct us about some important things about marriage. And we realize that it's, uh, there's lots of factors involved in it. Um, But one of the keys is how do we figure out what went on there? How do we figure out how to do that for 60 years? Um, if we could, if we could figure that out, then this this would all work for us. And if you remember those initial uh, experiences with the person, uh, where we just were kind of falling all over ourselves trying to give outgive each other. We tried to love this person. We were kind of trying to win them. We were trying to show them how um, awesome we thought that they were and how awesome we were going to be as a, as a uh, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. Uh, it was a very easy thing and it was a very, very powerful thing. Um, because of this giving, because of this, this um, selflessness that we had that just seemed easy, uh, it created this phenomenal bond. As a matter of fact, 
the, because of that, the strength of that in regards to our physical relationship, the, the, the best environment, the most potent, powerful environment um, for physical intimacy is actually during courtship. Everything is perfectly aligned, um, and yet it's the time that we're supposed to wait. Um, it's one of those head scratchers. God, why did you do this to us? Um, and I will say it is worth the wait, but it will take effort uh, for those of you that are still waiting. Uh, it is so important. Um, it, is, it, is, it is worth the wait, but it is per- everything is perfectly aligned um, for that. And so the, 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 the emotional intimacy, the closeness, the way that we love each other is, is easy. There's a rhythm in it, and uh, it creates these very deep, powerful feelings. We've talked about this sense of face-to-face. Um, that's what happens in courtship is we have this face-to-face relationship. It's you and me, baby, against the world. We kind of forget about everything else. And because of that, it creates this, this powerful bond. It's the time where we, the mantra could be, I'll climb the highest mountain and swim the deepest sea for you. Um, I don't know if you remember, you, you married folks, I don't know if you remember any of these experiences where you're out on a date and, and uh, you dropped your um, girlfriend off the house and of course we lingered on the front porch for a long time. Didn't matter what the temperature was, uh, we just wanted to be close. And uh, then we said goodbye and we would drive all the way back across town and notice that they left a book in the car oh my gosh, I think they might need this. So we drive all the way back across town, just like, honey, I thought you might need this. And then we linger a little bit longer on the front porch. Um, And then in our day, we had to drive all the way back across town, and then you pick up the phone, um, and you talk to them. And and Janice and I, matter of fact, uh, when we were dating at ORU, I'm not supposed to tell this one, sorry. It's it's already out now. Um, We had a few times where... We had a few times where we were we were in different dorms, okay, if you know ORU, and so we were, you know, just a few hundred feet away from each other, um, and uh, we would we would be talking on the phone, and we would just leave the phone laying next to us all night, <laughs> leave the line open so we could hear each other breathing. Um, anyway. If, okay, that was like 37 years ago or something, you know. Um, now, again, that's what we said. We, you know, drive all the way back across town, pick up the phone. Now, in your day now, all you have to do is just get on your cell phone and you can talk to them all the way back across town, you know. Again, it's just this phenomenal, powerful thing that takes place in this face-to-face relationship. Um, and then we get married and we turn, as we've talked about, we turn side to side. And now it's about building a business or getting a job or having babies or cars and houses and, you know, kindergarten and diapers and all of those kind of things, which are all important. Most of life is lived there. Um, but so many couples, um, all of their energy is expended doing that. Everything is going outward at that point. And the best of people, the best of relationships will slowly start fading. They will slowly start disconnecting. Now, we would never say this consciously, but, but what most of us tend to do is during that time is we think, well, okay, we're, we're grown-ups. We have little children now, or we've got a business we've got to build, or a ministry or whatever. Um, let's put our marriage on the shelf. Let's go do this. Let's go get the business bill. Let's go, you know, get the kids through school and all that stuff. And then we'll come back and we'll deal with this later. 
Uh, now, again, we would never consciously say that, but that's how most people act and behave. Um, that will never work. Marriages don't ever sit on the shelf. Um, they're on an incline. Either you're slowly feeding them and they're going forward and moving up the mountain or they're sliding backwards. And so when couples get in this kind of faded situation, uh, what tends to happen is instead of I'll climb the highest mountain and swim the deepest sea for you, uh, all of a sudden now I'm sitting in the living room and I hear some rustling in the kitchen and I go, hey, can you get me um, a, a glass of water and put, put ice in it or maybe some lemonade and, and uh, bring it to me? And the response is, what's the matter? Your leg's broken? Um, not for me, of course. No, not from you. This yeah. is just other experiences. Yeah. Um, and so, again, what happens is our behavior changes and feelings follow behavior. Um, you hear us talk about that a lot. Feelings follow behavior. Now, the good thing about that is we get to be in charge of our behavior. And all of us in our relationships, so today, wherever you're at in your relationship, whether your relationship is clicking along pretty good, uh, we're going to encourage you to, in some things that can move to another level. If, you're, if you've got some areas of struggle that are going on, this can help bring some life and new life and energy uh, into your life. Um, but it really is up to us. It's really what am I going to choose to, to put into the relationship um, so that then we get this connection and this closeness and this emotional and ultimately physical intimacy that we desire. When we do kind and loving things for people, it draws us together and it changes our feelings. We wait for the other person to do nice things and then we'll feel good about them. But it's when we take those action steps to do those kind and loving things that really do change our feelings. We're convinced that most people in their marriages don't have the fullness that God would have for them. They're missing out on the good and positive things that he wants to have, even when we're doing the side-to-side -side things. We can still do those things and get those things done and raise our kids and, and go to our jobs and yet spend time nurturing one another. We can still be boyfriend-girlfriend, even though we've been married for almost 35 years. But most of us tend to turn into old married people. You know what old married people are like? Did you get the mail? No. Did you take out the trash? No. What's on TV tonight? I don't know. We don't want that. <laughs> Do we? I don't. We, <laughs> we want to make our marriage alive and fun and to keep the spark that was there when we were dating. We want to be the type that throws the pillows at each other and snaps each other with the towels like we did in the early days. <laughs> Did you make an expression? Okay. No, I didn't. I just... I was going to have to send Ed home because some of the comments he made last night. <laughs> now I may have to send Bryn home too. I don't know. I'm going to have to work on it. One of the things that we have talked about, you've, you've heard us say a lot that we have to put effort into our marriage. And we've seen a couple things that really, really do make a difference. The first one, and it's hard to do, but it's one of the most important things, is a consistent date night. Having special time alone, just the two of you, to be face-to-face -face instead of side-to-side makes a huge difference. Now, we've got some information on the website, and you can go onto the website, and it can give you details somewhere. Click here for marriage resources. Okay, there. And it can give you the details that we encourage you with the date night. There's some guidelines that really make a difference, but I'm going to hit a couple of them really quick. The first one is, this is a date, and it is for fun. This is not a business meeting. 
This is not the time you talk about whether we should go ahead and get that algebra tutor for him because, you know, he's doing so bad. And my gosh, at this age, how's he going to get into college if he doesn't do better on algebra? This is not the time to do functional things. This is the time to dream. And so if you're sitting in a restaurant and one of you looks out and sees these beautiful windows and says, gosh, it'd be kind of fun to have the back of our house with those windows. And the other one says, boy, and we need to get a new air conditioning system this year, and we just don't have enough, uh, what's it called? Insulation in the attic. Um, gosh, that's going to, I wonder how much that's going to be. I should figure out how much that's going to cost. I have okay. no idea where you came up with that I know. example. I work with so many couples. Just in case you want to come to our house and see the windows later this summer. Um, <laughs> That will kill a date night. We don't want to turn it into a business, okay? The second thing that we want to do... Yeah, everything we talk about, we have personally done that. We have personally killed these things, okay? And we're just trying to... The other thing that will kill a date night is getting in the car and going, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, you want to go to eat? Oh, we can, but you decide. I decide every time. Why do I always have to be the one that makes a decision? Would <laughs> well, you want to go to a movie? It's just dumb boys' movies. There's nothing fun out. It's just dumb boys' movies. I don't want to do that. Okay? That will kill a date night. We talk a lot, and you'll look on the website, about pre-planning. How do we pre-plan it so that it's something that we will enjoy and that will bring life to us? I can't emphasize enough the importance of consistency and doing this in a positive way so that we can build um, those romantic feelings and we can get back to face-to-face -face instead of side-to-side. -side. Ultimate physical intimacy is really a byproduct of of. Of, of emotional intimacy and these these kinds of close connections and and because life most of life has to live side to side most of the time we have to spend doing those functional things um, these are habits um, healthy marriages have good healthy habits good rhythms in their life um, this is one of those that can draw you back together on a weekly basis and make a big deposit and make a big difference the second one and we are absolutely amazed at at the impact of a couple of simple exercises like this that begin to change the life of a marriage where we're just tooling along and hanging in there and even if things are kind of okay, how these can move it to, to a whole nother level. The second one um, is to begin to proactively give into the relationship. Uh, because most of our energy is spent here and by the time we um, you know, crash at night, we're pretty well spent um, because we've been spending so much time on all the squeaky wheels of our life, um, just making some deposits back into the marriage, small little deposits, um, make a big difference. Again, on the website, you'll uh, see a whole section that we have on this principle of what we call the love bank. You've heard some of you are familiar with that concept. That our emotional love and our marriage operates similar to our financial bank. You make deposits and withdrawals, and we'll explain all of that on the website. But but the, but the key is, how do I specifically give in a way that will make a difference to my partner? When I interview couples and ask them, okay, tell me, describe your life to me. What, what are you doing for the marriage? Uh, both of them give me this laundry list of all these things that they're doing. And they're all important. You know, well, I'm working and I'm earning income. I'm taking care of the children and I work too and I do this and I do that. All very, very uh, vital and valuable things. But oftentimes those behaviors are not really hitting our partner's target. They are not um, 
um, the, the communication of that love is not in a way that our partner really receives that and, and enriches them uh, personally in this connecting us on that emotional level. Uh, some of you are familiar with the whole love language concept, um, a book that was written several years ago. We saw this phenomenon for years and working with couples, and, and, uh, this, um, but this book was written a few years ago that talked about these five different love languages. Uh, the, the idea is that we have a tendency to give love in a form that we need love. Um, because I would like this, surely they would like this. And we all do that, but inevitably we all marry somebody that has a different love language, that, that receives love and gives love in a different form. And so acts of service and quality time and words of affirmation and physical touch and small gifts, those are kind of a general framework of the different kinds of language. Um, now, I'm a natural acts of service guy. I was kind of raised that way. It kind of fits my, fits my personality. I'm kind of a, a worker bee. Uh, my dad was a colonel in the army. We had all boys, and he basically taught us that when we come home from school, that you just simply ask your mother uh, if there's something that she needs your help with, or actually before you even ask her, just look around. If something needs to be done, just just do it. And so I kind of became this little guy that just did that. I was just helpful. And so um, that became part of my natural lifestyle. And so we get married, and I'm helpful. Uh, and I do things, and I go, this is, surely this is what she would like and appreciate. And, and uh, so I, you know, if the dishes need done, I do them. I vacuum, whatever, and, and uh, feeling pretty good about myself. That, gosh, you know, my wife is really enjoying this and appreciating this. And, and uh, start hanging out with other couples, and, you know, you hear the conversation around the dinner table. And pretty quick, I'm thinking... I like to do way more than any of these guys do. Um, my wife has got to be the happiest woman on the planet. She is like hitting nirvana. Um, and yet she would tell me t- at times, I just don't feel really special and really feel loved and valuable. And I'm like, how is that possible? I, I did the dishes last night. Honey, I vacuumed the entire house yesterday. I took your car last weekend and detailed the entire car, and you didn't even notice it. Um, And how could you not feel love? Look at all these things I'm doing for you. And I tried to convince her to feel loved, and I tried for months doing this. I tried for years doing this. And since she's standing up here, I tried for decades <laughs> doing this. Um, surely you should feel loved. Well, eventually, I got it. It was like, this isn't working. Um, now, she appreciated those things. It wasn't like she wanted me to stop doing those, okay? But it did not ring her bell. It did not make her feel like that she was my girlfriend, that we were boyfriend, girlfriend. And so she's a quality time person. She's a small gifts person. I'm not very good at those. Those are not natural for me. Um, uh, we have a couple of porches at our house. When the weather's nice, she'd like to just kind of like sit out there for like a couple of hours and just hang out and be together and read a book and have a cup of coffee. And, you know, I'm an acts of service guy. So five minutes into that, I'm like... <laughs> Don't I need to sweep the porch? (laughs) And it's like, no, that's not what she wants. She wants me to just sit there. As a matter of fact, if I start sweeping stuff, it like takes all the fun out of it for her. And so so I've had to kind of learn how to orient myself towards how do I give in a way 
that impacts her. And so we've got a whole detail on the website that will give you an exercise to begin to, even if you've read the book, even if you've got the certificate for, you know, passing the class for, for love languages, it doesn't mean we know the exact behavior that really would communicate that. And so we've got a little exercise. You can go on there. I encourage you to do that as couples and just see what begin to happen. Do it for 30 or 60 days. Begin to see what happens in your life. Begin to see the warmth, that connection. These are little daily deposits. We get back face to face. See, see what begins to happen in the warmth of, of the relationship over time. Doing these positive things helps feed your relationship. It helps build it and make it healthier, and it leads to emotional and physical intimacy. But the biggest thing that will block emotional intimacy is unresolved conflict. Really? You're being all warm and cuddly, and we haven't even decided whether your parents are coming for Easter or not? Those issues that we haven't resolved can pull us apart and keep us apart. We talked last week about dance steps and how most couples have the same argument over and over and over again. It's something else that triggers it, but they pretty much go through the same thing. And we talked about how to recognize your dance and how to step out of it. Again, that's on the website. And it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so we want you to um, look at that if you didn't get to come last week. But we also talk about a three-step model that we use that can help you resolve almost any conflict you'll ever have. So once you understand your dance, then you can say, okay, I know what we've done before, but we still have to figure out what we're going to do Easter. So we need to talk this through and we need to resolve this particular issue. We have that that's on the website and we really encourage you to check into that and to work on how can we get rid of the junk that keeps tripping us up over and over and over again. And we realize that sometimes we need coaching in this. So, so March the 9th, um, Saturday morning, we're going to spend um, a morning here together. Any of you that want to participate in that, we're going to actually walk you through and show you how to recognize your dance and what this three-step process looks like. You'll be able to, to witness it, to experience it, to practice a little bit. And uh, so we'll talk more about that March 9th because we have to do some work to throw off these things that, that can put a chokehold on our relationship. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, everything that, that steals and binds, binds us up and, and it becomes a heaviness in our relationship and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So we're going to work on that. And finally today, in the next few moments, we want to talk about a couple of things that are really stumbling blocks. We believe that if you begin to build emotional intimacy, if you begin to nurture and love the relationship, I just say we've got to feed it better. We've got to give it good vitamins. You've got to get it a good vitamin B12 shot periodically. Um, and a lot of our relationships are undernourished. They're malnourished. Um, but if you begin to feed it properly and begin to nourish it properly, remove the obstacles, then our physical intimacy becomes, um, becomes more alive um, in our lives. But there's a couple of things that are real stumbling blocks. I'm going to look at problems. Proverbs 5.15 says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe 
a graceful deer. And yes, I'm reading this out of the scripture. May her breath satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. That's simple, right? To be captivated. Absolutely. (laughs) This principle goes both ways. We really need to invest in our relationship and we need to value the marriage that God has given us. But we also need to protect it. There are things that can pull us outside of the relationship very, very easily. And so we need to work on really protecting and guarding the sacredness, excuse me, of the relationship that we have. One of the struggles, well, there's several struggles that I see that women are having right now that are tending to pull them outside of the relationship. There's really a new emphasis on men, on looking at men. You know, you can see magazines when you're in the checkout stand, and it used to always be women that were on them, and now you're seeing the shirtless guy on a commercial. You're seeing images of men that are very fit in movies. You're seeing all kinds of things. Remember the old James Bond days? James Bond wore a suit and tie, and it was the girl in the bikini. Things have changed over the years, and what it's doing is women are being bombarded by physical images of men. And it's causing them to think a little more and to evaluate a little more the men that are around them. It used to be in the past, women were fighting to go, I am more than just my appearance. Now we've changed it. You know, we'd hope that, okay, we'd get to the point where women were more than their appearance. Now women and men are judged on their appearance. And what it's doing is it's putting pressure on men to be more fit, more perfect, And it's also causing women to have that doubt creep in. I've actually had women in my office recently that have said, you know, he's such a wonderful man and he's great in so many ways and he's thin, but he just doesn't really have muscle definition. And so I'm just not sure that I'm that attracted to him. We would never have heard that in the past, but because we're bombarded by so many images, it's easy for us to start getting critical of the people around us, to start picking away at the people around us. We're also bombarded relationally. You know, with social media, we can keep up with anybody or find anybody and know about them, including what they had for breakfast. You know, we can know more than we possibly want to. But I see a lot of our social relationships today are a lot like English ivy in the garden. We used to have a house that would have ivy and it would grow everywhere. And it's beautiful. In the right place, I love it. And it's beautiful. But it can get into places you don't want it to. And it can actually grow up on your house and get between the bricks and the mortar And it can start eating away at the mortar and actually damaging your house. That's how a lot of our social relationships are. They're a mile wide and an inch deep because you can pull that ivy up without any problem. It'll attach, but you you can pull it up. We're tending to get to be that way where we have a lot of surface relationships without the depth. And they do have the possibility of causing harm in our life. Some are innocent, but some we have to watch for to make sure that there's not harm. Um, Have you ever heard of Facebook envy? That's one of the things as therapists we're dealing with a lot lately. Some of you have heard that. We're finding more and more people that go on their Facebook and it's like, wow, they went on a cruise. There's pictures of them on a cruise. Oh, Did you see the party that they had? They had a whole bunch of people over at their house. Her son always posts these like awesome scriptures to his mom on there. I don't have that. 
I, I, don't, I don't have a relationship like that. What we don't understand is Facebook can also be a facade. And we don't know when we're looking at those other families, maybe the son that's posting the scripture has broken their heart because of the drug addiction that he's dealing with. We don't know that the family had a huge fight when they were on the cruise, and now they're not talking to each other. So the pictures look great, but we don't know what's there. But it causes a dissatisfaction within us, and we find ourselves going, I just go to work and come home. My wife's, my life's not as great as their life. And we get this restlessness, and we go, okay, what can I do about it? How can I make my life a little more exciting? Gosh, you know the really good time in my life was in high school. When I dated Mike... We had such a good time. He was so fun. We'd go to the football games, and then we went to this Mexican place, and we would have queso, and we'd talk and laugh until they closed the restaurant. That was a great time. I wonder what Mike is doing now. I bet I could find him on Facebook. And for some people, that is the beginning of an affair. I'm not happy with what I have right now. So I'm going to look for someone else that may be a little more interesting. That doesn't seem like it at the time. It feels very, very innocent. And for some people, it is. I would say don't take the chance because I'm seeing so many problems. But there's that I need something else, so I'm going to look outside. It causes us to be critical of our spouse. You're not nearly as fun as some of the fun that I had in the past. And we have to guard ourselves from that. Generally speaking, women enter into affairs for emotional connections. They want somebody that values them, that they feel good about themselves. And I think that's true for men and women to a certain degree. But a woman can go to work and, you know, that guy that I work with, he likes to talk to me. He finds I'm interesting. Or that guy that's got um, a kid on my kid's soccer team, we're always at practice together. And we sit there and talk, and it's just nice to have that closeness. And so I'll look him up on Facebook, and I like a few of his statuses, and that's nice. Uh, yeah, that's nice. And I feel a little bit of tingle. And then he texts me and says, how was your presentation? Or how was your daughter's gymnastics meet? And there's the, my husband didn't even ask me how my presentation went. How sweet. And we enjoy it just a little bit. But we don't tell anybody because it's not bad, but I just, you know, I don't really have to show anybody my text. And what happens is we rationalize and justify a little bit more, a little bit more. And it's always, it's not that bad. If you find yourself saying it's not that bad, run from it. Because it's easy to make little decision after little decision that ends up in a problem. Nobody wakes up one day and says, gosh, I wonder how I could mess up my whole life. Let me think of something that would blow everybody out of the water. What should I do? It's the little tiny decisions. So we have to guard ourselves. 61% um, of people who um, have affairs say that text messaging was somehow involved in that. A fifth of people that are going through divorces say that it is linked to their relationship on Facebook. I think it's more. But we have to guard ourselves and keep ourselves from being pulled outside the relationship or even just becoming critical of our spouse in the relationship. We're running short on time, but one final thought. Uh, I've got so many emails this week that more of you wanted to see more of my artwork, and so I thought we should just take a couple minutes and uh, 
um, show you a little bit more. That's pretty impressive last week. I realized that. Um, um, one of the things, and again, both all of these things kind of go both ways, male and female. But but one of the greatest challenges for uh, the male uh, is going to be what we see. Uh, we're more visually wired. Uh, men have this capacity to be able to see uh, an image, be able to have a response to an image, uh, an image that they don't. They don't know that person. They don't even care to know that person. But there's something about the image that just lights something up in them. And, and it'll probably be the greatest challenge for Christian men to deal with in their life. I say Christian men because those that are not of the faith don't, aren't even trying to fight this battle. They, they don't care. They've given into it, uh, justified it in some ways. Um, but it's very clear in Scripture. We're talked, we're talked to about the idea that if we, have, if we just even have lust in our heart um, for a woman, then it's as if we've gone the, the entire way with them. And so why is that? I think it's so important to understand that God knows what he's doing. When he tells us to do something, he's not trying to spoil our fun. He's not trying to to ruin our full experience, but he knows how he's designed us and he knows what is the best, uh, what is good and best for our life and therefore what we have to guard ourselves from. And so I think it's it's helpful to understand kind of how this works. When you look at at how he designed um, us to operate as as humans, um, incredible, huh? Um, Pretty amazing. That is the male. Um, this, of course, um, is the female because she has a dress on. Um, <laughs> some of you probably want to have some of my skills in your work and business. I, you know, I, I do this on the side, so just let me know. Um, the way God designed this, he, he designed, as, as we talked about, our, our intimacy life. He wanted this to be the fullest and most powerful, most amazing thing that happens. As a matter of fact, if, if you study what happens during sexuality in, in humans is some of the most powerful hormonal reactions and chemical reactions in the brain and in the body take place of any other experience that we have. He, and he designed this. He's proud of it. It's a good thing. And his plan was that there would be one person that, that we men would see. So that's they would come into our view, so we would see them. Um, does that make sense? You'd come into okay. Um, there would be one person that we would see that would that we would be interested in. We'd have this reaction to, and and uh, and just one and only person that we would see and then be intimate with physically. And his plan was that this experience would be the most powerful thing that you could ever possibly imagine. And so much so that as we go through our, our seasons of life, so as we go from our 20s to our 30s to our 40s to our 50s to our 60s to our 70s to our 80s, this one person is the one that walks in the room that lights us up. There's something about this amazing bond. It's a very mysterious thing, this amazing bond that God designed for this to be the most powerful thing that you could ever experience. Now, the enemy also knows how God designed us, and his plan is always to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so what he does is he throws all these other images, and, you know, in today's culture, there's, you know, you don't even have to be going to bad places. You just be innocently on your computer or watching a TV show, and all of a sudden, you're going to get something um, of of an image that's going to draw your your attention. And his plan is to to sidetrack us and take our view and start focusing on all of these 
Um, and again, not, not just that, gosh, I saw an attractive person and then I go on, but those that we linger on, those that we have further thoughts about, certainly if we have a sexual response to that person, what begins to happen um, that we see over and over again is, is the person becomes split. The potential, the potency, I say it's a little bit like having a glass of pop and you put ice in it, it just dilutes it. And so this exp- expression up here um, is begins to be stolen from. Something begins to hinder that experience. Um, for you single guys that are not yet married, um, fighting this battle is worth it because you are blessing your ultimate relationship. For us married men, the, the, the thing that we have to, the reason we have to guard our hearts is so that we have this, the fullness of, of what God has designed. And, and, but again, something gets stolen from us. Now, the cool thing about God is that I have seen over and over again, is when we men recognize what's going on and do the work necessary to block all of these perspectives. Again, those things that we have been longing after, those things that we let ourselves linger on, as these begin to cut off, and I've seen guys that have gone down this path a long way. They have been on this path a long way. But as they begin to cut this off, something, and that just shows the miraculous uh, renewal um, heart of God, the, the regeneration heart of God, as this becomes fully alive again. Even men that have gone down this path for years and years, as they begin to get a hold of this and guard their heart and begin to block these images and, and, and guard their minds and their focus, then they begin to have restoration um, that takes place in their life. This is a difficult battle. As I said, it's probably one of the most difficult battles that you'll face as a man. But it is, it, is, it is so worth it because of the potential of what God has designed. He has your ultimate good, your ultimate best involved. Um, this is not something that you just simply pray about one time and all of a sudden all, you know, the, the desire is going to go away. I've had you know, guys go, I just, I just wish God would just take all, any of these desires away. Well, He's not going to do that. Um, he has designed this. This is the way it's supposed to work. But we have the responsibility um, to allow the Holy Spirit, to invite the Holy Spirit into these places in our life. And there's so many men. There's kind of a movement in our culture right now among Christian men that are just trying to rationalize this. You know, it's really not that bad. You know, every guy does this. All I'm doing is looking at something. I'm not really doing anything um, with anybody. It's not really hurting anything. I'm telling you, it will steal, it will kill, and, and it will destroy. And, and uh, guys are thinking that, well, gosh, if I just get a B minus in this area, at least I'm not doing what these other guys are doing at my job. You wouldn't believe the guys I travel with, what they do. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. Um, but God is always pulling us back um, to the, the highest standard. Again, not because it's some standard that we're trying to meet um, to get his approval, but because he knows what's best and he knows what is good for our life. So it's going to take a lot of effort for us to work on these things that can, uh, these stumbling blocks in our life. But if you'll take the time and the energy to put into the relationship, begin to give into your spouse's life in a way um, that is very personal that will that will hit the target if you'll take the time to learn how to work through conflict if you'll guard your heart and 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 your relationships and make sure that we don't even aren't even taking little steps um and proverbs talks about if you start going one direction it's, it's kind of like a it's the brent sharp paraphrase but it's it's like a hook gets in your nose and it will drag you into the abyss if we just start moving a little bit a certain direction um, these these are dangerous areas but if we pay attention 
um, then we can have the, the fullness of what God has designed um, for our relationships. Um, talks about free f- fleeing from evil. We have to be proactive in doing this. So marriage is a mystery, as Pastor Ed talked about. Life is. It can be a wonder. It can be a phenomenal thing. Um, if we put the effort into it, the scripture talks about make every effort. If we put the effort into it, uh, it's amazing what God can do. Um, so let's step into the fullness of God's plan.